Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Paul, how's your week been? My week has been pretty good. How about yourself? The sun has been shining here in Seattle, and so it's been very hard to be inside working from home. And so I have kind of been out taking meetings on the deck, but my poor laptop doesn't seem to like the heat very much. (laughs) (laughs) And so I have to kind of like creeping back in and it's like, it's no fun in sitting in the shade when the sun's out. So I've actually been putting my laptop in the shade and me just like basking in the <laughs> in the sun with a headset on. Is it a black laptop? Because the first time I did yeah. that, yeah, I thought it was a great idea. And then I put my hand on the keyboard. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. And it's one of those Lenovo's where it's like, um, it's not shiny. It's like a matte surface. So it just seems to absorb all the heat. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, at least you get not enjoying the weather. That's awesome. Awesome. Good thing. Yeah, I mean, for the three weeks that we don't have rain here, it's, uh, it's great. And so um, we, we've been pretty busy this week. There's um, graph news ashore. So the graph mailbag series, which my team's running, Brian's kind of heading it up, but everyone's kind of chipping in here. There's been a new article here on um, Azure AD applications and users for testing and talking about kind of like that notion of app registrations and assigning users and how you can use Microsoft 365 DSC and Graph CLI there. Um, so Brian actually wrote that article. D- did you take a read? Is this something you're aware of? And I did. And I was excited seeing the headline because there's a whole bunch of cleanup work I have to do in our tenant about applications and consent. And I thought, oh, perfect. You did all the work for me. But it's just a teaser. Yeah, <laughs> so Brian, totally. man, share the code. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of cool because it does, it like configures, pre-configures a bunch of apps so he's got like a, a Postman app pre-configured and that way you can just grab the client ID and secret into your environment variables and then go to ak.ms slash graph Postman and like kind of fork that collection and get it going. But he's got like a PowerShell one and a, a one for doing graph connections with the right permission scope. So it's really cool to have like a bunch of sample apps with the right permission scopes in there. So it's, it's neat. I love that tip. It was a good one. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I I have all those pieces just not formalized. Yeah. And even with the community library that I've written, I have a I have an app for app only and a delegated and interactive. And so once I, I made a bookmark, once he publishes his script and stuff, we'll we'll grab that into the library so that you could do a little setup script uh, and then run the community library and see the stuff going. But yeah, it's awesome stuff. Yeah, it's cool for you know, and again. Being in the role I'm in, I'm not doing this much now, but back in the day where you had like 50 developers working on a project and wanted environments to look the same, like this kind of stuff is great for stamping out dev environments or even like having one and paving it and re- redoing it. Like this is really neat. So yeah, it's cool to see the team sharing this stuff. Yeah. And, and for those just, you know, getting started or looking to refresh, you know, you can get a bunch of sample users, a, a data set for your dev tenant. That's right. From the partner center, right? So you get your dev tenant and run the, the script to create 25 users, a varying, varying, you know, history of them, but now you need apps to go. So it's kind of like closes the loop. So great stuff. Great tip from Brian. Thanks. Yeah. And then the other bit of news was our .NET framework and a few new and improved Connections with the Azure Identity Client Libraries is a big, big win that we continue down that path of making sure that we're like in lockstep with what the Azure SDKs are doing. But also new support for the JSON serialization, de- deserialization uh, through the 
system.text.json rather than using newtonsoft.json. Um, but I mean, you're using this library, right? In a bunch of bits and pieces. I, I am not running V4 just yet. I'm a little afraid to swap out the JSON serialization bits because I, you know, after true. after quite a, a while with our code, I'd hate to just plug and play. I, I am anxiously awaiting the token credential stuff. I actually, I borrowed some of that code. <laughs> so, so yeah, I've been using the preview stuff like from GitHub, not necessarily from NuGet. Is it, it the, this blog post is is they put it up into NuGet? But yeah, the the token stuff is awesome. I'm telling you, people, put your put your secrets or put your certificate in Key Vault. Do the little app config stuff. Boom! The the token credential, off you go. So um, it's enabled it's enabled us to have programs that we can run during a build pipeline that you know validate the database, right? So we have a Cosmos database, and what if I add a property or I change something? I want to do a little console app maybe to synchronize that. I can get credentials, you know, again right out of the build pipeline. It works for a console app if uh, my consultants are deploying a new customer. I can run it, and you know, obviously in a function app or a web app, it's all one place. Just do a credential, bam, it's off we go. So really looking forward to this coming. Great job by by team. I know Daryl did some some a lot of legwork to get the Azure team and the graph team on the same page and it's going to pay off in a big way i really like it yeah any of these like cross organizational things can sometimes be very complex because you're trying to get the teams to align on like a shared agreement and alignment that you know you sometimes they might not have that reason they're doing things and and in this case like Broward just does a great job with the pms to make the worlds align and get the stuff out so it's really neat yeah, long, long time ago, I saw Luminary said that the second adopter makes the standard, right? So when the graph, <laughs> so think about it, the Azure did something, and now Graph can either go their own way or they can do what Azure did. And by doing what Azure did, now everyone else at Microsoft is like, well, what are you going to do? You're you're going to do your own thing. Why can't you just play like the other right. two, right? So so true, right? You can't can't really argue with something that's getting the scale of calls that this is getting. It's very true. Yeah, yeah. So, so great to see. Great to see. You know, the kind of a merging of the forces. We've we've talked to uh, Chris Dossa from the Four Two Five Show, and we've talked to Seb from your team, and the two of them got together out. So, right. I don't know if you had a chance to look at that yet. I, I got through the little bit of it, but not yet. Yeah, it's interesting that you found the Periscope link. So, the Periscope's the Twitter platform. Well, I, well, I saw this on Twitter. If there's a, a a better link for it, I'm happy to put it in there. But I couldn't find a better yeah. link. I wonder, I'm assuming it's on YouTube somewhere. Um, I guess think like it's more accessible to people with a YouTube link because YouTube comes up on people's smart TVs and tablets and things. But Well, I saw a tweet from John about uh, John Danderson, and which is why I grabbed the link. And That's I, probably where they're, they must be live streaming it there or something. Yeah, and they do have an aka.ms. So in the, in the show notes, we'll have a link to the 425 show yet again so you can find it. But yeah, it was uh, yeah. nice to see those two get together. Yeah, and talking about... B2C custom policies and a few other bits and pieces as well. That's neat. And Christoph's show is really popular, which is, you know, obvious because the identity aspect of it. But he's a good character too. So if you haven't watched anything with him in video, um, it's always good fun to check him out. And and John as well. And the neon sign that we talked about a couple of weeks back. <laughs> I know. My gosh. <laughs> Tense. Then a, a former guest of ours, uh, Yannick Reekman's updated a, a community link. I'm not sure if you had seen this yet, but he, he a while back had released a people search web part. 
And he, I, I'll put a link to the original release. He talks about why he did it, which you know there might be a kind of redundant some stuff. But uh, he has migrated that to the latest SharePoint framework, which is 1.12.1. And so, it, number one, it's noteworthy that uh, other folks are using 1.12.1 and and doing the update. I assume he did the CLI to do that. So I wanted to at least call attention to folks that 1.12.1 is ready to rock and roll. We're starting to roll that out on our stuff as well. So good to go and uh, good to have you see some more uh, stuff coming out from Yannick. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's good to see them keep pushing that through. Like Yannick's very vocal on a bunch of different channels. So it's nice to see him focusing on that stuff and getting that out there. So that's great. We've got a bunch of good shows coming up. Um, but you met with Elizabeth and obviously builders kept me crunched. So I'm not going to jump into some of these interviews actually. So again, <laughs> thank you for driving them. But um, we've got um, Nick Chalabois coming up soon talking about um, Graph Data Connect and um, Brian Jacket talking about Graph Connectors, which got a bunch of news at Build. The session builder is out. Uh, you'll be listening to this on Monday, the 17th of May. The, the, the schedule builder came out last week. All of the on-demand sessions are there to add to your backpack. And then the schedule for the live sessions, we repeat each session twice in the two different time zones, one kind of American friendly and one rest of world kind of APAC Europe friendly. There are a bunch of, as well as the featured sessions, uh, a keynote with Jeff Teeper that uh, you'll see Yina Arenas has a, my boss, uh, a big segment in talking about Microsoft 365 data and the graph. And Arshana, uh, GPM of the Teams extensibly, talks a lot about Teams and a, a Windows segment as well in there, uh, which is great. And uh, yeah, so check out the, the live sessions, get them on your schedule, get the on-demand stuff queued up into your backpack. And then one thing that they did at Ignite, which they've expanded on at Build this year as a, an, a corporate event thing, is not only are there product roundtables for specific topics, and actually there is a product roundtable on graph connectors, which uh, my team's leading, um, but also there's the ability to book one-on-one -on -one time with people across Microsoft's engineering groups. And so uh, from a graph perspective, we have a ton of people that volunteered. Uh, so we've basically cleared our calendars for those three days and you can schedule an hour. Um, and I've already had like three people on my calendar book in um, and they've kind of pre prescribed what topics they want to talk about. And so then it's kind of either I handle it or I bring in someone that's going to be able to answer some of these <laughs> questions. Most cases I'm pretty good, but there's definitely some um, yeah, blind spots. And so the idea is you can kind of book that time. So um, take advantage of it. Register for Build. It's free. Check out the feature sessions. Look at, make sure you don't miss the on-demand sessions. Um, check out the keynotes. Make sure you don't miss those because that's where everything kind of gets covered. And then take advantage of those product roundtables and the one-on-one -on -one times. I think it's a great way to engage with Microsoft and get you know some good quality time to... Ask us your curliest, gnarliest questions you can think of and see if you can trip us up. Hopefully that's not the case and you just, you know, come back and tell us how amazing our product is. Well, as someone who gets an hour with Microsoft every week, I got to say that that is a solid gold solution there. And even though Jeremy says he has blind spots, he always answers my questions or find someone who can do it. So it's certainly worth connecting, <laughs> yeah. right? So don't sell yourself short on that, but it'd be great. Uh, so, you know, I actually hadn't signed up for Build yet. The fact that Jeff is doing a keynote at Build, I think that's probably the first time, at least in my memory, that he's doing I, a developer. And I haven't seen much Twitter since that came out 24 hours ago that that's the case. But um, yes, yeah, big deal. I think it is a big deal. That's awesome. 
Awesome. So great to do that. Um, and then, yes, uh, getting back to this show, Elizabeth Olsen came on. And Elizabeth, we actually reached out to her back. We, we did a show on Azure AD entitlement with Martin Hatch a while back. And Elizabeth was going to give us the inside story. It, you know, I like to get one external, one internal. And then stuff happened. Life, life moved on and we got delayed. But we reconnected. And so I started asking Elizabeth questions about the this stuff. And then I just got on a roll, and at one point, it, it, I actually apologized to her because it became rapid fire, fire questions, almost like an ask me anything. And you know what? She answered every <laughs> question. Was very gracious. I was so glad that it, it was really so. So not a lot of conversation, so much as Q and A. Uh, there were a couple of unanswered questions, and so the, the answer is yes to both of them. Yeah, so if you're listening, you'll see that yes, you can. The stuff she's talking about is included in an E5 license, and E5 licenses are part of the developer tenant. So everything she's talking about, you can do in a developer tenant. So crack on and get started doing it. It's awesome. And thanks again to Elizabeth for being patient with me and being uh, waiting to come back on the show. It's awesome stuff. So great to see you and then uh, look forward to getting this build content rolling out. So yeah, I'm excited. All right. Well, have a great week, buddy. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks, mate. Everyone enjoy. This week on the podcast, I'd like to welcome Elizabeth Olson. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners? It'd be great. Sure. Uh, I'm Elizabeth Olson. I'm a program manager on the Azure Active Directory team, and uh, I focus on entitlement management and B2B invitations and lifecycle management. And for listeners, just a reminder, a few months back, we had uh, Martin Hatch on the show who talked about a similar topic from the external point of view. So I invited Elizabeth to come on and, and give us the full story, the goals, and the, the why this thing exists and how we can use it. So let's just dive right in, right? B2B external user management. <laughs> yes, please sign me up, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, what is our elevator pitch? What is this thing? Yeah, so entitlement management is really a way of having more structured relationships and managing access for those those partners that you have. So you can take a set of resources and make it easy to quickly onboard and offboard users from those resources. And that works really great if you have structured partners or, or relationships with like, I work with like this partner, that partner, or the other partner. So this partner needs this app and this SharePoint site and needs to be in these three groups. Um, and then you can send them a link and say, hey, go here to sign up. Um, they go through an approval process. Um, you can set up regular access reviews to say like, hey, every three months, I want to like make sure only the right people are here. Um, and then when their relationship with you is done, um, then they automatically get deprovisioned from those resources without you having to remember to like remove them from all the stuff they have access to. Um, so that can be really powerful for those types of uh, structured relationships. Okay, lots of nouns I want to dig into in that in that pitch. So you said resources, and what is that in this context? What does a resource really mean? Yeah. So right now, entitlement management supports um, SharePoint sites, groups like Office 365 groups, and also Teams because underneath the covers, Teams are really just a group um, and apps. Um, and then we're also working on adding more resources to that in the future. So like, I'm not going to go into what resources they are because I want there to be a little bit of surprise when we ship them. But there, there's a bunch of other resources that we're working to add over the next uh, few months um, as well, because we think that that's a really valuable way to be managing all of your like provisioning users access. 
if I have an application that's protected by Azure AD, can I include that as a resource that they cannot get access to? Yeah, absolutely. So any app that Azure AD knows about, you can include in the access package. Um, and so entitlement management will provision and deprovision from that app uh, as part of the onboarding and offboarding flow. Okay. And then as a developer, how does that, does, is there anything I have to do in my code? Does that mean I have to check for a, a role claim or a, a scope, scope or is it just a magic happen? Yeah, so as a developer, we've got APIs um, to create access packages or manage access packages to submit requests to them. Um, and so you don't have to like do anything special. It's just like, tell us about the app and then we'll add it to like, the access package. And then you can manage the access package just like any other object you would in Microsoft Graph. Okay, and then they, now we've talked before about a structured relationship to an organization or to partners. And so what does that mean with a structured relationship? Let's kind of dive in a little bit about what that means. Yeah, no, that's a good call out. So there, there's kind of like a spectrum of uh, partnerships that I see people have with their um, external users. And there's one end of the spectrum that's really structured and like, uh, we'll have a contract in place and you'll only get access to these four things and you're not allowed to see anything else in the directory and no one can share with you outside of this context. And then there's kind of the other side of the spectrum, which we call more of ad hoc sharing, where it's like, I'm in SharePoint, I'm just going to like share a document by typing in your email address. So I'm going to add you to a Teams. In that case, like entitlement management isn't as effective because you don't know what you're going to share until your end user actually goes and, and shares it. And so for that um, scenario, we think that governance is usually better done through access reviews and, and those kinds of controls where you can audit what's being shared and then decide like, hey, should they keep that or not? Whereas um, entitlement management is really shines at the other end of the spectrum with this more controlled, structured partnership um, that you might have where you kind of know in advance, these are the resources people are going to need and this is how long they're going to need it for. So in that, that scenario, it really kind of makes sense to say we're going to let them access items in this team or this SharePoint site. And if they need it, they need to be added to the site and don't go crazy. Is that fair enough? Have I got that right? I think so. Yeah. Some of our customers are really concerned about their guests getting farther than they want them. And so they they say, like, I'm going to I'm going to make a little like area corner for you. And you stay in this area, but don't go anywhere else. And then now, of course, the struggle with access or external users in the past has always been who's doing them and what they're doing and, and how do I keep track of that? And so we've talked about, you know, these structured rules to get there, which, which is nice. Now, if I think back to old days, we had the ability to, to federate directories and so on, where I could just say, hey, partner X, users can access things. Is it still at that organizational level or can I still fine grain it down to individual users at those partner sites? Yeah. So um, with entitlement management, it's it's more of the organization level in terms of what people can request, um, but you have approval of whether or not you let them in. So you could say, hey, I know Bob and Jenny and uh, Susie from my partner, um, and so I'll let them come in, but like, I don't know Rick, and so I'm going to reject his request. Um, so it's not, you don't have to like let everyone from the partner organization to come in, even if you have it set up that they can see it. Um, you still have control over who comes in and who doesn't. And who does these access reviews? 
Uh, you can configure the access review to be done by anyone that you want to delegate to. So some people um, have a particular person in IT that's like, you are the person who reviews access. Um, and some people say that the group owner, they'd like group owners to review like, hey, in your group, you have these people, do they still need access? And some organizations will even have the guests themselves review their access and just say like, hey, we noticed you have access. Do you still need it? That, that feels a little strange, I think, to some people to ask, but it actually turns out a lot of guests are like, wait, no, I don't. Like, please take it away. I don't want that risk. Um, and so it can be really helpful um, to do even sometimes a multi-stage review and say, like, first have guests review themselves. And that gets rid of some of your guests right off the bat because they either don't respond or they're like, no, like, please please take it. Um, and then you do a, a second round of review for your remaining guests to say, hey, now that we've whittled the numbers down, we're going to go to the group owners and say, hey, group owners, do you still need these guests? And if they don't, then like you do another round of cleaning up your guests, um, guests in your directory. And so that can help organizations that might not have like spent much time cleaning their guest list yet get to a more clean and sustainable state. And this review workflow, obviously involving multiple humans, uh, what does that look like? Email, Teams, custom stuff? Yeah, we have uh, an email workflow that like when when you're a reviewer, you get an email ping that says, hey, you need to review this person for that resource. Um, and then they click a link and they go to our My Access portal where they can see all the reviews they need to do and what the review is for. And then they can make decisions on each of the ones um, that's relevant for them. This portal is something hosted at Microsoft or do I have to install something? Or what is that? How do I get this portal? Yeah, it's at myaccess.microsoft.com. And so like we host it, like there's no like setup or anything that anyone has to do. It's just um, built in if you're using um, Azure Active Directory's um, access reviews or entitlement management, then they both uh, surface through that portal. It's kind of similar to like my apps, um, if you or my applications. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. It sounds a lot like that. Yeah, um, and and so now let's. That's the big picture of what this thing is. Now, if if I'm a developer, I guess let's just say I'm an enterprise developer. So I've built an app. We do whatever widget production, and I have this app, and I want to have partners come in and look at it. And so I'm guessing number one, I make sure it's connected to Azure Active Directory. I guess is first, right? <laughs> now, do I need to have the, the B2B service or the B2C stuff set up first, or can this really just be any, you know, any organization or any AAD account? Yeah, so the nice thing about B2B is you don't have to set it up. It's already working. Um, and you can just make it work a little better for partners that aren't using Azure AD. So like if they're on um, ADFS or Okta or Ping, you can set up um, direct federation so that they get a single sign-on experience even though they're not using um, a cloud service or they're not using a Microsoft cloud service. But for like Azure AD partners, like that works out of the box without any um, IT involvement whatsoever. And then uh, in entitlement management, we'll, we'll use that functionality to um, onboard the users as B2B guests and get them set up in the directory and then provision their account to the app. And then the app just recognizes like that's a user from AAD and they don't have to know anything special to handle it usually. Yeah, so that's one of the things I think trips up people a lot, right? If I'm doing this process, so back in the day, if I had a website and people were going to log in, I had to decide, is it my org or all orgs or my all orgs plus 
consumer. And you said something about provision in the directory. So does this help reduce that complexity a little bit by having this entitlement stuff? Yeah. In other words, does it, well, I'll let you explain, sure, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so like entitlement management doesn't change how auth authentication works. And so like what the app has to do to support B2B users is the same with the, if the user came in through like just a B2B invitation versus like from entitlement management onboarding. Um, I think that that's a good call out though, that like an app that's built as more of a multi-tenant app that goes to what we call the common endpoint, like slash common then that app is going to have a little bit of trouble authenticating B2B users because it's always going to try to put them in their home tenant rather than the tenant they're trying to be a guest in. And so um, the way that you need to, your app needs to be um, architected in order to get B2B guests to work is to go to your tenanted endpoint for authentication instead. And then B2B users will just be able to get the, the single sign-on experience to work seamlessly. Yeah, okay, right. So uh, the login URL is my tenant that hosts the application, not Comment, right, which, yeah, excellent, which I think is somewhat simpler, or, or, or I guess in the inverse is I, mean, I have an app already that's using my my tenant, and now I'm inviting external guests in, so I can just leave it as my tenant, right? I don't have to yeah. change anything there, right? Exactly, and please don't change it if you want those guests to get into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex exactly. All right, and, and then if, if, I, if I've set up the, my app, and my app is working, and we're inviting in these guests, and and what I, we talked about a bit of these this access package stuff. Do I programmatically create that, or is there a wizard, or is there a website? Does it have to be a developer? Uh, how are these things created and managed? Yeah, so we've got a general philosophy for everything we do in Azure Active Directory that we want to make sure there's a, a UI way of doing something, an API way of doing something, and a PowerShell way of doing something. And so if you want to go through the UI in the Azure portal, you can create an access package that way, and we've got an experience that walks you through the steps of doing it and setting it up. Um, if you'd rather use code as a developer, like we have API for you to create your access package and manage it. And we also have PowerShell to do the same things. And so it's really whatever you're most comfortable with. And like, if you're doing it at scale, you probably don't want to use the UI. But like, if you're doing it for your first time, using the UI is probably helpful to kind of understand the steps that go into things and how it all fits together. Is the an access package something that I would need to do a lot of maintenance on? Would I want to automate this? Or is it really I've set up an app and now I'm setting up a package and I kind of leave it and just works? Uh, can you give what, what's, what are your insight on, on what that is like? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends a lot on the customer scenario for using um, entitlement management. Um, some of our customers, for example, you create an access package for each of their partners, like, and, and they're in the services industry. So like they have thousands of partners. And so like for them, it makes sense to automate access package creation because the business will come to them and say, hey, I need to have like a, a set, like a, a package put together for this new partner and I needed to have a site and I needed to have a team and I need these this group and I need them to have access to these four apps. And then um, there can be a tool that runs and collects those resources, puts them into an access package, configures the policies on like who can request it and who's approving it and, and things like that. And then give the business back the URL for the package and say, here, give this to your partners and then they can sign up with this and it'll all just kind of work automatically. So it sounds like an extension to a provisioning process that we might have done for back you know, for SharePoint sites. And now that I've done the site, I want to define who can access it, right? Right, exactly. You mentioned I have a new partner organization or a new customer or whatever. What is mm -hmm. 
when an excess package, is it scoped to a, a, a tenant organization or a connected organization? Or is it scoped to a resource? Or can I make up whatever I want? What's that kind of look like the contents, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah. So part of the access package is declaring, like, who is allowed to request this thing? And and we give you a lot of pivots in terms of, like, do you want to uh, make it p users inside your directory? So there's lots of uh, scenarios around, like, internal user access uh, as well as uh, external guest access. Um, that a lot of our customers get into. When it comes to external users, we have a lot of pivots in terms of like, do you want to expose this just to guest users that you've already gotten into your directory somehow? Like you've already given them accounts, but you just want to manage their access um, through this process? Or do you want to open it up to users who aren't here yet, but like this is how they onboard into your directory? And then beyond just like those guest users and whether they're here or not, you can also limit it to partners that I've already configured or anyone in the world or even just specific partners like these three partners are who I want to expose this to, but like none of the other thousand partners I have or something like that. There's a lot of flexibility to target the specific audience you're looking for. Okay. So it sounds like the answer is it depends, which is what kind of what we we expect. And and now I want to... Uh... Sorry, I have a million questions here, as you can see. We're going right through this. That's awesome. I love questions. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll re retitle this Q&A about access. <laughs> and so one thing that you, you've said repeatedly, like, it's so if I, I can use this as my invitation mechanism for either partner organizations or users. And so can I then customize the look of how this invitation experience is, the, other than my, my corporate logo? Or like if, it, if I have a package for, you know, partner XYZ, can I say, welcome XYZ user in so if you have questions, you should call, you know, Joe at XYZ as opposed to inundating my, is there a way for me to like customize that experience a little bit? Not today, um, but that is something we get a lot of feedback about. So it's something we're looking into how we can give those controls to people. Okay. And, and then as they use the package and onboarding, is there some type of alert or feedback mechanism that can see that who it's, it was used and who was using it and, and when? Yeah, so you can definitely see like what requests were made, um, whether they were approved or not, like um, all the activity related to the access package is logged. Um, and so you can have different ways of filtering out those events in the logs to, to run whatever triggers you want. We also um, do have like UI in the portal that will show you like these are the people that have access and this is when their access um, was granted and things like that. So that, that information is there if you want to to report on it or play around with it. Yeah, which I'd expect right for auditing, but yeah, that that that's, that makes sense. And, and now another item that you mentioned, I want to drill in about is right. So I, you generate a URL for a package, and so I guess that experience along the lines is. Uh, if I want to share with something externally, I have this URL. I just email this to whoever I want, right? They click on the link and then I'm done or, well, I guess it's the review policy, right? Have I got that that understanding, right? Is what's going on? Yeah. So so they click on the link and they get experience that says like, hey, this is the an access package for this company. Would you like to, re you can request it basically. And, and so they go through the process of requesting it. If you wanted to ask custom questions, they'd answer the questions that are associated with the package and then they submit their request. And then, um, um, it's up to the policy you've got configured. Like, do you want people to approve? Do they get auto-approved? Um, things like that determine what the next steps are. Okay, so, so questions. Wait a minute, that sounds interesting. What, what, what do you mean by ask them questions? Just slip that right in there. <laughs> 
Yeah, so give us a little bit more depth on what what that means. Yeah, so this is a feature we actually have in uh, public preview right now, um, where in addition to the resources and like who can request and how long they keep stuff, um, we know that there's a lot of reasons why you might want to like get a little bit more information. Like, hey, where are you from? Uh, who recommended you take this package? Like, what's your company name? Like different kinds of information that kind of either help you make a decision or like you might want to like take that information, do something with it. Um, and so we have uh, a way for uh, the person who's creating the access package to also indicate a set of questions that they want requesters to answer. And they can make the questions required or optional. They can have different types of questions like multiple choice versus like sentences or things like that. Um, but it's a way of kind of baking it into the process more seamlessly. So you don't have to like have a pre-vetting process before you share the link with somebody or things like that. Yeah, because that kind of ties into it. My next question was, obviously, a link. If I send a link to Betty at Partner Company and she forwards that link on to six other people, I wouldn't know that. So I guess I don't care is what, what the, the end of the story here, right? Whoever gets the link and then click on it, I have some rules about whether I'm going to let them through. Is that fair enough? Yeah. And, and like what we found is uh, where the link is really useful in a lot of cases is like you you send it to Betty and Betty's managing like 100 people working with you out of like a 100,000 person company. And you don't know who those people are, but you trust Betty to share the link appropriately. And then you might even have Betty be the approver of who gets in so that she can say like, yes, yes, yes no, I don't know how you got the link, but you're not getting in anyway. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and so like there, there's a lot of flexibility there. Um, but the idea is the link itself generally like doesn't give you any like access to anything you still have to go through the the process of getting approved before you actually get an account and get into anything yeah i can certainly see a scenario where perhaps betty's posting on their company internet because i you know if my organization provides a service to hers and whoever has a question might want to do something so boom click the link and then we have that process i really like how how that that works right now you mentioned policy before, and so can you give us just a, an overview? Obviously, you could we could be in minutia of policy for hours and hours, but what kind of things are are kind of set in a policy? Yeah, so the policy kind of controls like who can have this, um, what's the process for them getting approved, when do they need to be reviewed, um, who does the reviews, and um, what happens at the end of their um, their time with this package? Can they renew or can they do they just get kicked out? So it kind of controls the the who and the what and the how long and stuff like that. We call it a policy because we store it as like a separate thing that's attached to the access package. Um, and we also allow you to have multiple policies per access package. So you might have a set of resources that you like this grouping of resources and you want to expose it in different ways to different partners or different ways to different, like maybe you want to have your internal users get a certain policy, but your external users get a different policy. Like internal users, maybe they get it automatically or approved so they don't have to go through a lengthy process to, to get in. Whereas your external users, you might say like, I kind of want two levels of approval before anybody gets access to these things. And so policies do that. And I might have a shorter, uh, I might have a shorter expiration for external users as opposed to internal exactly. Too, right? yeah. It expires unless you sign the next contract. <laughs> exactly. Like you get it for two weeks, you get it for two years. Like that's totally possible with multiple policies. Now, when uh, access expires on a user, they're obviously they're going to get blocked from getting the resources, but do I still see remnants of them sprinkled in my directory or is there a cleanup process or do I have to do that myself? What does that look like? 
Yeah, so I'm glad you asked that because that's actually one of my favorite features of entitlement management is that um, users who are provisioned into the directory through entitlement management, we kind of keep, um, for lack of a better term, a ref count of like how many access packages do they have? And when that ref count goes to zero, which is our indication like, hey, they don't have any of these access packages anymore. We also um, deprovision their account in the directory and, and delete it after 30 days. Um, and that's a setting. So like, if you really want to keep them like regardless, like you can turn that off and say, no, I want these people to last forever. Um, but usually most people um, have problems cleaning up their guests that don't need access anymore. And so this um, will automatically take care of that for you. So if I'm transitioning from just everybody's been inviting folks in haphazardly and trying to put some structure around it, I would imagine when I start, there's a bunch of users have a ref count of zero. <laughs> is there a way to transition from one approach to the other without breaking folks? Or is that really just some initial pain? No, so we are very conservative about who we delete. So if we weren't, if we didn't bring them in through entitlement management, so they were invited through SharePoint or Teams, then we don't delete those accounts because we're like, we, we can't be sure that like, we rough counted that properly. So we only um, get rid of the accounts that we created, basically. We're looking into ways that we can better manage those ad hoc guests that came in. And, and that's where access reviews do a, a lot of heavy lifting there to help you clean those up. Um, but in terms of guest account cleanup, that will, will only touch the ones that we created so that you don't have to worry about like, during that transition, I came in with like 10,000 guests and like, oh, no, they're all gone tomorrow. Like, no, 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 that that's not going to happen. And so it, I guess access reviews for those legacy guests, I guess, is one way and then say, OK, I'm going to kick you out. But here's a link to come back in. And now they're in the management. Right. That, 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 I guess that's an option as well. Right. Yeah. It depends on whether they need to keep access to something that they've already been granted, because if you kick them out and have them come back, they'll they'll be a new user kind of to the directory's perspective. And like if they had a SharePoint doc they were working on, they won't have access to that anymore until it's reshared with them. Okay, so if I'm a developer and, and I've written my own application, I might want to have what, you, what you're allowed to access is set up through either membership in a group or some type of role. So will this access package, let me say, you can come in if you have package X, that means you're in a, a security group called Y and I can not worry about that? Or is it not quite that sophisticated yet? Or what's that look like? Um, yeah, well, from the apps perspective, you probably shouldn't need to care about the access package level at all. Like if you're looking for roles as your authorization layer, then and like, or, or sorry, if you're looking for groups as your authorization layer, then like the access package will put the user in the group. And then the app is just checking, like, are you a member of the group? Yes, like you're in, good to go. Or like direct assignment to the app, um, depending on how um, your app is configured, either one will work. Yeah, so I guess that falls into the whole policy discussion, right? If you use package X to come in, you're going to be in a group or a role of that that matches that package. And so as a developer, I should just be using those role or group membership for my authorization decisions, right? Yeah, so like apps shouldn't have to do anything to, to care or even know if they're part of an access package or not. Like for them, it's just the same like, hey, I authorized users one way. I'm going to keep authorizing users that way. And it turns out I just have more users the next day. <laughs> yeah, right. And so if, we, if we've done the rules as we were given ahead of time, we're in great shape. But if I haven't, <laughs> I'd like to try to, to recap what if I want to take advantage of this as an app developer, I'm uh, the two things I remember are I should make sure I'm using 
logins from Azure AD and I should be using groups or roles for authorization decisions. Is there any other things a developer of a custom app might want to think about before we get started? I don't think so. Like we, we try really hard to make it so that like you don't have to know as an app developer that this is going on under the covers. Like this is just another way that like assignment and provisioning happens, but it's not like we don't want it to be a unique way of doing it. We want it to just be yet another way that like downstream apps don't need to know about. Um, and so like whether somebody got added to the the app role through like the My Apps experience or whether they got added to the app role through an access package or through API, like the app shouldn't care. They should just say, hey, they're in this role, so I'm gonna give them this experience. Okay, and if I want to get started on this, where do I where do I go? What's the first step? <laughs> I mean, is it all tenants everywhere, or what is that? How do I get started? Yeah, so um, entitlement management is a, a P two an Azure AD P two feature, and I think that's included in E five for M three sixty five licenses. Um, and this is kind of a little out of my wheelhouse because on the product team we don't talk as much about licenses. We just assume everybody has everything. Yeah, exactly. Well, so if I if I get a developer tenant for example, or a trial tenant, would that be something that's typically included in that? Don't hold me to this because again, like this is a little outside my wheelhouse, but my understanding is that trial tenants do have like the most licensing um, for you to play around with. And so you should be able in a trial tenant to be able to try out the governance features and, and see how they work use some APIs, um, kick the tires. Um, and if it works for you, then you can go and get fully licensed in whatever tenant you're in. Um, one of the things that's really nice about entitlement management or uh, the way our licensing works is that for external users, we have this new MAL-based billing model where you only have to pay for what users are using. And um, you also get 50,000 users free. Um, so like for most users, they can get um, P2 functionality for their external external user or for their guest users for very little cost or almost no cost um, if they go through the, the mal-based billing for their, uh, for their external users. So that's definitely something to look into as well. And I'm guessing that makes it much easier to test and develop if I have a developer tenant or a trial tenant and then add my regular account as a guest into that other one. Let me check and see. Because at the end of the day, I need to have multiple tenants for this all to work, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so like that's, I think, one of the harder parts about doing development in this space or trying out the features is you do have to set up multiple tenants to play around with. But like using your main account as one of your guests can help like cut down on the complexity because you're like, well, I, I know I have the credentials for this one. And like I don't have to maintain yet one more tenant to do all my validation. And I meant to I meant to ask you this before, right? So what about the B to C service, right? So I know I can set up an, a B to C tenant and say, if you have Facebook or Twitter or Google login, does this also then allow these these packages, let me say, allow users to come in with those social media accounts or does it have to be an Azure AD tenant? B to C tenants don't have as many governance capabilities, so they can't work with entitlement management. Um, but we are actually, we're doing a lot of work to kind of bring B to C functionality into AAD so that you don't have to pick one or the other anymore. Like it's a super set of everything in one tenant. And so we already have support for uh, Gmail users, uh, for Facebook um, users. We're working on adding Facebook users to entitlement management, but you can already use them for B2B users in some cases. And like MSA users, so there are some social accounts we already support with B2B. And in the fullness of time, we want to have the super set of everything that AAD, B2B, and B2C can support um, all in one tenant together. 
and all fully governed by entitlement management and access reviews and all the goodness. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so that that invitation process that I may have seen in the B two C that's already there as part of these package with the Q and A and stuff, right? So I see a lot of overlap there. So I really like that. Awesome. This is. I, I thanks so much for just sitting here and taking a million questions from from me. I hope and, and listeners. I hope uh, I, I covered your question. But if not, where can folks uh, direct questions to get you or the team to help uh, get them on boarded with the entitlement stuff? Yeah. So we are actually um, we're pretty active on Twitter, and so I can I'm on Twitter as Elisol E L I S O L, and uh, I'm always happy to have people reach out, and ask questions, or let me know how they are using the feature, or what they think about it. Um, that's kind of the highlight of my day to have someone pay me and be like, Hey, I just tried this out and I liked this part of it. I was like, Yes, <laughs> definitely reach out on Twitter. That that's uh, probably the best way to do that. Awesome. Thanks so much for hopping on, and uh, we'll uh, get look forward to folks trying this out. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I really had a great time. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 